After tireless efforts from her family, government officials were finally paying attention to what happened to Phoebe Hanschuk. However, her family was soon shocked by the coroner's official finding. Two journalists put a spotlight on the case, and more attention seemed to be the best way to bring about justice. This week's episode is The Mysterious Death of Phoebe Hanschuk, Part 3. Fills with dread, probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. Welcome to 2023. We're in a new year. Thanks, everybody, for your uh, patience and kind words as we had to take a pause because our dear, by the way, it's your birthday today. By the time this will be released, it'll <laughs> it be is, your birthday, yes. January 4th. So happy birthday. Thank and you. I hope you, as your birthday gift, you feel better. Thank you. I am feeling I'm about 95%. But now my children are not well. <laughs> so, you know. It's when you have four people, the sickness is like months long, and then you have about a week where everyone feels great, so you really take advantage of that, and then the cycle starts back up, and that's how it's been for about five years now. Yeah, pretty much. It was very cute. One of my favorite things is when either Ella or Simon come and say hello before we start recording, mm -hmm. and Ella came in to show me her amazing dragon that she got, and she's like, it's Deba's beady, and I was like, her poor little voice. <laughs> yeah, she... Um, has been running a real high fever since yesterday. So is Simon, but we're Tylenol and a lot of love. We're a lot of love. There. <laughs> a lot of love. Feel better. A lot of Scooby Doo. Ella's very into Scooby Doo right now. I love that. Which I never really watched as a kid. And in the past week, I have seen more Scooby Doo than I ever have in my life. I never <laughs> really so watched it growing up. Did you? Uh, we did a little bit with my dad. My sister primarily watched like Pink Panther, Scooby-Doo. She watched a lot of old cartoons with my dad. And then I would want to watch what they were watching. Mm -hmm. But that so that's my exposure to it. But Casey Kasem did the voice he of the did. old ones, right? Yeah, for Shaggy and I think Scooby. And then Matthew Lillard does the more recent ones. But we've watched stuff from 1998 up until last year. So this show has been around. We tried to tell her we're like, this show's been around since before mommy and daddy were your age. Like, it's has withstood the test of time. I will say, though, the answer is always robots. Whenever the meddling <laughs> kids figure out what it is, it's always the most complicated robotic thing that someone has built that's just <laughs> mind-blowing. That's the new one? All of them. I feel well, like any explanation is, this wasn't a giant ice monster. It was really a bunch of drones that was being controlled by a... And you're like, and this was a real one we watched. I'm like, how did this... We're all just going to accept it, because that's what's fun. That's intense. That's yeah. a lot. It's an intense... There's some wild It's ones. not just an old man with a mask on was the ones I remember. Yeah, th that still happens too, but they've, yeah, they've come a long ways. But well, uh, yeah, so we've been watching a lot of that, which they're always solving mysteries. We're trying to solve some mysteries. I'd say it's universal, the curiosity of what really happened. And that's, this is a case where we don't, we haven't dropped it, even though we aren't covering it. I was still reading documents, oh, yeah. reading 
more evidence, watching more videos while this time that we were off, just because there's so much to take in. And we're doing it in three episodes. And a lot of people pointed out, which we'll talk about in this episode, Phoebe's Fall. Mm -hmm. So if you don't get enough out of this, there's also another podcast called Phoebe's Fall that was in 2016. But her family participated in that as well. And then there's the show notes are a wealth of information if you want to dive in deeper um, and see what, you know, what else we could just can't cram it all in here. I mean, we have the coroner's report, the council assisting report, her grandfather's report. I mean, it's I think the coroner's report's like 85 pages. Mm -hmm. So it is eye opening. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we've we've I feel like we've done a really good thorough job of trying to touch on everything. PhoebeHandsJack.com is a really good resource that man her beloved grandfather destroys the coroner's report oh yes <laughs> and he um is a very smart man a retired detective and what a hard position for him to be in where you know what should be done it's not getting done and now you're the one that's left to kind of do it and that's the last thing you want to do is have to read all the gruesome and grisly details of how your granddaughter died. Just reliving it over and over. Mm-hmm. But it's the ultimate act of love because yeah. he's he will not stop. And as they shouldn't. I We talked last time we, on part two. The way I really think that cases like this are going to be solved and have justice is by kind of like a grassroots type of campaign where it's more the families, podcasters, more like um, boots on the ground type journalism that isn't afraid to say things that maybe larger media doesn't want to say. And also that have probably more of a, a passion and genuine interest in justice and advocating for victims and their families. Definitely. And and just having people put pressure because a lot of these officials are elected officials. So mm-hmm. putting that pressure and saying, you know, I live in Victoria and I don't want this to happen. I don't want this to happen in my state. No. And this is the only time a death like this has happened in Australia. Yes. Which to be the only number of a way something happened, that is a red flag for me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And a red flag for experts, I think, as <laughs> yeah. well. Yeah, this whole case is one big red flag. And hopefully, at some point, the, her family finds some semblance of justice. Of course, no matter what happens, your loved one's never brought back. But if you feel like your voice is heard and that the person you think is responsible is behind bars and can't hurt someone anymore, I think that is very helpful in the process of grieving and healing. Yeah, definitely trying to find some positive out of an Mm -hmm. ultimate tragedy. Yeah. Well, like Heather said, this is part three. Part one and two have been over the past couple weeks. We did have to take a week off because of my illness. (laughs) Well, I'm all better now. And now we can bring part three to everyone. So I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. After a five-day investigation by Homicide Squad detectives, Phoebe Hanschuk's case was passed on to detectives in the South Melbourne Police, where the case was no longer treated as a homicide, according to The Age. Initially, Phoebe's death wasn't widely reported by the media. There was a quick mention of her death in The Age the day after it happened, but that article only stated that a woman was found dead in a refuse room. The next article was two years later, in December of 2012, 
briefly outlining her death and reporting on the fight that had been brewing over Phoebe's family's mission to get a coroner's inquest. In Australia, certain deaths are reported to the coroner. According to a 2016 scholarly article on the nature and duration of coroner's inquests, in Australia, nearly 20,000 deaths, or 12% of all deaths, are reported to a coroner each year. The types of deaths that must be reported to coroners vary by state, but generally include accidents, homicides, and unexplained deaths. Researchers also found that 1 in 20 reported deaths involve an inquest. Inquests go beyond the initial report to the coroner and involve the coroner hearing testimony from witnesses under oath and examining evidence. The way I understand it, it's kind of like a funnel that, you know, many people die each year and then only a certain amount qualify under this law to be looked at by a coroner. And then of that, only so so many are so unusual or the evidence is so muddled that then the coroner has to hold this long inquest where it's not quite a trial because they're not determining who did it, but it is an investigation into how it happened. If a death is not... Um it, it isn't very clear of, of how it happened or they think that a crime was involved, they report it. Then the inquest is kind of examining all of the evidence in hopes from the family, if I'm not mistaken, that instead of it just being ruled an accidental death, that's something more concrete is going to come out of it. When it's important to have a precise cause of death, the, the coroner's act says there's kind of two reasons. It's you either have the, uh, you either have, the public policy reason of, okay, if this is a bunch of accidents that are all happening at these certain construction sites, we want to know this type of construction material caused this incident, which caused the death, or, you know, this, this is poisoning at some level. And, you know, you want to get to the root of it. And then on the flip side, from a family's perspective, if it was a homicide versus an accident versus suicide, that could have an insurance implications mm -hmm. of, you know, if your policy doesn't cover a suicide, but does cover an accident, you need that official report to tell what happened and families in like the the hands ducks in this case really had to push to get the inquest because there was some official pushback of like well it's pretty open and shut and then you look at the evidence you go no it is not it's maybe the least open and shut case we've covered so for anyone to look at this and say oh yeah well it was definitely um just an accident i i i based on the evidence at hand, cannot understand how that conclusion could be made. Is this something that we have in the U.S.? Not really. I mean, we do have medical examiners who determine causes of death. But if a family like Ellen Greenberg disagree with the medical examiner, you don't really have this coroner's court. You would then file suit against them. Okay. So, the, so. it would it would automatically go to a trial if it got that far. There isn't kind of a a step between those two things. Yeah, and I thought this was actually fascinating, the coroner's court concept, because it does make sense when you say we're here in a court-like capacity where people are under oath, there is testimony, there are these rules of evidence, there's an attorney assisting the coroner because the coroner's not a judge in theory. And if it is non-malicious, you know, it's not a homicide and you do want to get to the bottom of it, it makes a lot of sense to have this yeah. court. So I don't think that this is a bad setup as far as how it works in the the common law in these you know colonial or coronial colonial systems where you know it's based off uh, British law at the mm -hmm. end of the day and you know it's a great idea in theory and then in practice you kind of see some of the statistics that it maybe they they had a good idea and they put in a lot of stringent rules in a 2008 change in law and then they realized oh they're a little bit too stringent mm -hmm. the coroner's act 2008 
details the procedures for holding these inquests, which are meant to gather information about the cause and circumstances of a death. Unlike trials with judges, juries, and verdicts determining guilt or innocence, inquests are focused on the facts and nature of a death. For the two years following Phoebe's death, her grandfather, Detective Sergeant Lauren Campbell, combed through the circumstances surrounding his granddaughter's death and became convinced it was more than an accident. Seeking to prove as much, the Hansjacks began the process of requesting a coroner's inquest. Aunt Hample, through his attorney, sought to block the inquest. Meanwhile, he received $113,000 from the government as Phoebe's next of kin. He eventually turned the amount over to Phoebe's brothers. That's one of the moments in the Phoebe's Fall podcast, which, again, is extremely thorough and was the real first deep dive into this case when they they mentioned it. And it was a, you know, you're taking a drink and you spat your drink out moment. I was like, he got what from who now? Mm -hmm. That is shocking to me that not only are you fighting them to find answers, you're actively using your wealth and connections and your attorneys to oppose this. But then you're taking a check from the government yeah. on a, what I would argue is a false filing of a de facto relationship that we went over last time of like, here are the standards and you lied in official documents and said that you were a de facto mm-hmm. spouse. Mm-mm. No, I'm glad he eventually turned it over to her brothers. Another big red flag and a question mark for me would be, why would you want to block an inquest if at the end of the day, hopefully Everyone that loved Phoebe wants to get to the truth. That's a great question. That's a question that just hangs out there like, a, you know, a stale fart in a room. And I hate to use that, but it's just that is just it's the stench over this case of why have you been fighting this? Mm-hmm. Why have you every step of the way making it more expensive for her family to pay more lawyers to have to file more motions to get? It's just adding insult to injury. Yeah. And it's. Any case we cover, whenever I see someone that's actively trying to close a case and and not help the investigation, we always, you have to ask the question of why, what's the motive there? And for me, none of the motives are something that are positive, in my opinion. Exactly. Because if you're trying to suppress the truth, my question is why. Yeah, Exactly. Reporters for The Age spoke with Phoebe's mom, Natalie Hansjuk, who explained the difficulty of finding an attorney to represent the family. Not only was it extremely costly to hire someone, she told interviewers, but because of Aunt Hample's father's background as a former Supreme Court judge, many of the best attorneys in Melbourne were conflicted out as they had previously worked with him or considered themselves biased. That is just such a sick feeling. And in fact, there are people out there Knowing this will do this if they have upcoming litigation. So say you're married and you're divorcing your spouse and you know your spouse, you, you're planning on make, having, getting divorced and you know your spouse has great attorneys that are you know friends or connections. You can make appointments and go in as a possible client and talk to the attorneys and then let them know, you know, by the way, my spouse is Bob Smith and I think I'm thinking about filing. And then once you've done that, you've conflicted out all of these great attorneys and sadly that people People do that. But in this case, they didn't have to go and do that because just by virtue of his profession, they were all either so aware of him or had practiced before him so much or whatever that they just turned the family away. Yeah, that's not how the justice system should work, ideally. I understand if it's a conflict of interest and a genuine conflict of interest, which it might be. 
if you are deciding before you even know anything other than, oh, this is Hample's kid, nah, we're not going to get involved with this, then that you're not doing your job and holding up the oath that you took when you took that position. Absolutely. It's very reminiscent of the Murdoch case. Yeah. It's also, I mean, to a much lesser degree, kind of like Erica Girardi. Like she she said, my husband was one of the most well-known attorneys in town. Like no one was going to go against him. Yeah, if, that's true. When I w- wanted to leave him, when she was saying, you know, she knew what was going on and wanted to leave him and stuff. So, I mean, yeah, if you're in a relationship with someone that has a high-powered profession or their family does – when it comes to legal stuff, you're often on the shitty end of that stick. And Absolutely. your family is too. Oh, definitely. And it, you're, what you're talking about, Girardi, also happened with his victims when they said, hey, Tom was representing me, but man, I really, I have a million dollars I was supposed to get a hold of. And then you start asking around and it, Tom Girardi was a kingmaker. He mm-hmm. would decide basically who would become judges in California. Once he put his stamp of approval, you're going to go. And so now people who are extremely vulnerable, like the handstrucks, like Girardi's victims, are looking to speak truth to a higher power that is so powerful that now it's really hard to find representation. Mm -hmm. Phoebe's family began receiving more media attention in late 2012 when reporters from The Age ran a story called What Happened to Phoebe? That garnered even more media attention and offered the family the ability to fundraise for legal representation to assist with the inquest. Despite Ann Hample's opposition, the Hanschuk family filed a brief in early 2013 requesting the inquest. Phoebe's family argued there was sufficient evidence that a homicide might have occurred. Attorneys for Ant, on the other hand, insisted that the inquest was not necessary, as there was not enough evidence to support a possible homicide. A few weeks later, the parties were informed that the Hanschuk family's request was granted. The coroner's inquest began August 5, 2013. Testimony ran for over three weeks, and further submissions by attorneys representing Phoebe, Aunt Hample, and the court itself made written submissions through May of 2014. Initially, things seemed positive for Phoebe's family. At hearing in December 2013, Coroner Peter White had asked South Melbourne Detective Brendan Payne to investigate some issues, including the whereabouts of Phoebe's phone and Aunt Hample on the day of her death and the location of CCTV footage. As the inquest carried on, however, two things became abundantly clear. There was certain evidence permanently lost, and the coroner seemed to have made his mind up despite that fact. In May of 2013, the age reported that during a preliminary hearing, it was discovered that the building's visitor log from the day of Phoebe's death was missing. It was also revealed at that hearing that in his investigation, Lauren Campbell had spoken to an employee of the Balencia, who was questioned by Aunt Hample's friend in the days after Phoebe's death. Well, now people are getting involved that you start to think, what is, what's your role in this? Why are you even involved in this, sir? Yeah, why are you showing up at the concierge desk? Uh, granted, you live in the building, but there's nothing more than hello, goodbye. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a mess on the elevator to be swept up. You know, there's not a whole lot uh, that you need to really like uh, spend a lot of time talking about the facts of a case that you have nothing to do with except your friend is involved. The missing visitor log, several pages were missing the day of writing who went in and who went out. And, you know, more information gets lost. And that alone to me doesn't say necessarily there was a homicide, but it sure makes me wonder. Yeah. Maybe we should dig in. Uh, we're not saying that there 
definitively was a homicide, but we are saying that this investigation sure as shit was bungled enough to where a more thorough investigation was needed. And we can't say that there wasn't a homicide. Definitely. You have to comb through it at the very least, especially when things like this start popping up. At the inquest, Beth, the concierge who found Phoebe's body, testified to the repeated visits by aunt's friend, colleague, and neighbor, Christo Van Egmond, after Beth had returned from leave. During those visits, the friend told Beth over and over that Phoebe's death was a suicide and Beth shouldn't feel bad. According to her testimony, the man told Beth that Phoebe couldn't be saved. She didn't want to be saved. All the while showering Beth with gifts of chocolates and wine. Shout out to Beth for just quietly listening and letting this person say bizarre and borderline incriminating things. What a difficult position for her to be put in. First of all, she's stumbling upon the scene that she did. That's with you forever. But now it's just constantly being like brought up to you. The the chocolates and wine, that doesn't sit right with me. It's To me, those are... You're trying to sweeten the deal, maybe a little like bribery or almost it's it's insulting too to think like someone could be bought or at the very least that subconsciously you're giving them the impression that, look, we're all nice people. Nothing bad could happen. Well, you know what I mean? It's just oh, very yeah. icky, the whole thing. Absolutely. I think it means to me. It shows how little a rich person thinks of a service worker. That like, I'll take her a bottle of wine, some chocolates. That'll shut her up. Yeah. That's the impression I get. That may not have been his feelings. Maybe he's super nice. Maybe he's such a nice guy saying something like she couldn't be saved. She didn't want to be saved. You can go fuck yourself, Van Eggman. I don't care who you are. Apparently, he's also some big, you know, popular, whatever. Your your currency ain't good with me because I don't know who you are. All I know is what you did, and I'm not cool with it. Mm -mm. And I think that shows... Just just go talk. To, I'll just go pop by and talk yeah. to her. Let me yeah. just go talk to her. No, it's so gross. And to think that you could even say that of her, knowing her for a few months, she didn't want to be saved. When I'm assuming all of the information you have is coming from Aunt. Yes. So By a source. Yeah, by a source that has the same name as an insect. That it's biased as well. <laughs> yes. In later testimony, Von Eggman confirmed he spoke with Beth, gave her wine and chocolates, but denied visiting her more than once. He also tried distancing himself from Hampel, despite knowing him for 25 years, working with him, living near him, and traveling with him, according to the age. My goodness, when you get drug upon to testify, suddenly you're like, I don't know that man. Yeah, yeah. They're like, what about all the chocolates and wine? Yeah, I mean, one time. More than once? I think you only need to do it once for it to be real fucking weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. D- doesn't make you look any better than no. to be like, it was only once, though. And the fact that he then was like, uh, peace, aunt. Sorry, we've had over two decades worth of knowing each other. Uh, I got to ghost you now. Is pretty telling. Yeah, we weren't friends, though. And you're like, well, you went on trips together. <laughs> we weren't but, friends, yeah. friends. We just like knew it for 25 years. You just <sighs> kind of knew someone. It's a long time to have just some dude hanging around. Mm-hmm. Beth confirmed that the logbook page from that day, the book detailing who entered and exited the building and when, had been ripped from the book itself. The entry that Beth had made about discovering Phoebe's body had also been ripped out of the book with no explanation. That's what got me. It's one thing if you go, the log was missing. Maybe sometimes the log gets erased or whatever. But if you have a 
and it's been ripped out, that tells you everything you need to know. And when stuff like that happens, I'm always like, you idiots. Like, you think no one's going to know that this happened? You can't cover something like this up. It's a it's a huge story. It's a tragic and brutal death that happened in a very expensive high-rise building. It's going to come out. So you removing some written words from your logbook isn't going to change that. It just makes you look super sus. Yeah, it just all it does is add to the suspicion. Mm-hmm. Because what was it going to say? People came in and out. And also, she found the body. She's still, she's alive to testify. Yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. like you got anything on her. Yeah. Over 20 witnesses testified at the inquest. And fact after fact was revealed, painting a picture of a bungled and possible tampered with investigation. In addition to the logbook, the CCTV footage that could have helped establish what happened on December 2nd, 2010, was also lost. Building manager Eric Giamario testified how, on the night of Phoebe's death, he insisted to police how vital it was they take the footage right away. Instead, Giamario was confused as to how loose police were at the time, telling the coroner. I would have thought, given the very unusual circumstances, and again, I'm not trying to be flippant about it, but I would have thought police would have sealed off my office and said not to touch anything because we can't afford to lose anything. I think that's a reasonable thought to have. Yeah, he's right. I mean, he was at uh, McDonald's getting food when she called him, when Beth called him and said, this happened. He's like, I'm on my way. Hang up and dial 000. Get the police there. Runs over there thinking, okay, what can I do to help? Can I secure this? Do you want me to pull the footage for you? Do you want-? And they're like, "Could get away yeah. and leave it. So Could it's you like, go oh, back okay. to McDonald's, actually? Yeah, that helps like, us okay, out a lot. I'll go home. Like, I'll get out of your way. No worries. And then you come back to your office and you're like, Oh, so it's just like open, like anybody could just come in here. You didn't pick up this footage. Mm-hmm. The logbook's ripped apart. Like what happened while I was gone? Because you think you're leaving it in the hands of the people you're supposed to leave it in. Yeah. Lauren Campbell's investigation took center stage for a part of the inquest. His statement was read aloud for the coroner, after which the coroner was shown footage of retired Detective Campbell's extensive experiments on the garbage chute. The footage in his statement made it clear that Phoebe would never have the requisite balance or coordination to fit into the chute. Just after her death, Lauren conducted a series of experiments on a replica of the garbage chute that showed how impossible it was for a sober woman of Phoebe's build and athletic ability to climb in herself. In the demonstration, the model attempts to lift herself into the chute that is one meter off the ground, or a little over three feet, Identical to the chute on the 12th floor of the Balencia, the replica had nothing on the walls surrounding the chute that could be used to grab onto to help hoist oneself into the chute. The model continued to struggle as she attempted to climb into the 22-centimeter wide opening, or 8.7 inches. During her first attempt, her weight caused the chute door to fall back, virtually closing the opening that she could fall through. On her second attempt, she was able to get the bottom half of her body into the chute opening, commenting the entire time how incredibly difficult it was and how tight the opening was. Eventually, the model was able to fall feet first down the chute, but only with her arms raised over her head. This contradicts the findings of the investigation and coroner, who said Phoebe had her arms by her side and used her hands to brace herself against the side of the chute as she fell. This demonstration pretty much tells me all I need to know. Oh, yeah, because there's two sets of footage. There's the one that he did immediately after her death and then the later one, which I think we the footage is from that 
investigation, that experiment is what we posted on our social media so other mm-hmm. people could see it. And that's what you're talking about where it's crushing on her legs and stopping her. But I think the number one thing is the coroner concluded that, you know, well, obviously she put her hands by her side because she put herself down in there. And when you just see the opening is so small, it's just so impossible. Mm-hmm. Her her shoulders out with her arms out, the width doesn't fit. Mm-mm. The width of the chute only fits the, the width of her body. So her arms would have to be above her head. And like you said, there's no handles anywhere. There's nothing to grip. All you're doing is gripping on that. So what'd she do? She stuck herself down in there, pulled herself back up, grabbed a rag, which nobody found and nobody saw, wiped all her own fingerprints off, stuck her hands down next to her side some magical way, which would never happen, and then shimmied her way down into a yeah. trash compactor that that crushed her foot, like willingly did that. There's just no way. I don't care how much I've been on Ambien. I've been on Ambien and alcohol. No, absolutely not. The thing, too, that I was thinking about today, if her intention was to take her own life, why then would she have crawled out of the trash bin trying to find an exit to the room? That's a great question. And there is studies that most people that do attempt suicide and that survive say, oh, God, the second I did it, I thought, I take it all back. I want to live. I'm so sorry. Um, And people personally, I've known in my life that have done that. Mm -hmm. But I think the, as her family said, we knew her. She and her psychiatrist said, I knew her. I talked to her. This would not be the way that you would choose. A and B, it's just physically impossible. Yeah. It's phys- I mean, watching this model who is completely sober mm-hmm. struggle to try and do this, you're like, how would someone that is drunk and on sleeping pills be able to, I mean, getting even just getting there at all would be a struggle. Mm-hmm. But being able to do that, it's just not possible. And the, the sticking point is her arms. Yes. They said her arms, based on her injuries, would have to be, have been by her side. It's just physically impossible that that could have happened yeah so therefore the way you're saying she fell and died is scientifically and physically impossible Mm -hmm. so your whole theory has been destroyed you got to start over is how i look at it yes one would think but if you're the coroner white your coroner peter white you're like physics what and you sign the (laughs) Finding as is. You ignore the extensive work, by the way. By the way, you're welcome, state of Victoria, country of Australia. Lauren Campbell is a freaking one-man crime solver. Mm -hmm. He spent so much of his own time and so many of his own hours not only conducting the experiments, but A, preparing for them, and B, analyzing them afterwards and then presenting the findings. This man has done thousands and thousands of hours of work on this that y'all couldn't even be bothered to say. Yeah. And one of our Australian listeners sent us, I believe it was an email. Did you share that email with me that said, you know, it, Australia is like the U.S. In theory, there's great stuff. There's yeah. also shitty investigations. It's not, uh, it's normally not like this. Yeah, sure. Uh, but in this case, it's, they have gotten so much it's not just, oh, well, you know, it could have happened, but we just can't be sure because we don't have the funds to conduct the experiments. No, no, no. The experiments were conducted. Yeah. Because Natalie Hanschuk raised fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars for the inquest, and then the the experiments. I mean, they're using raised money by people mm-hmm. that also want answers, friends, family, strangers, as well as their own savings to do something that shouldn't be their financial burden and, or their emotional yeah. and time burden to do, and uh, very 
generous of the uh, one of the companies that produces these trash chutes that they worked with Lauren Campbell and said, yes, you can use one of our trash chutes. We'll get you the exact one. So it's 100% just like the one in the Balencia. So your experiment. So again, you're now relying on the kindness of corporations to do this or having to pay them or whatever yeah. when something it should have been done as part of the yeah. investigation. And I'm sure they also want to clear their name. That trash right? chute doesn't want people thinking, oh, you can accidentally just tumble down this to your death because guess what? You can't. And there's also a huge sign posted by the trash chute at the Balencia that says, do not climb in here. (laughs) If you ever were thinking about it, you know, I mean, if someone was determined to do that, a sign isn't going to stop them. Sure. But the sheer physics of it would. Absolutely. And the experiment we just described in the outline here, it shows there's that there's a safety latch where it really doesn't open more than less than halfway, which would, you know, maybe four inches ish. And then once she finally gets in it, it, the lock lets go. And then it really does just become almost nine inches. And, but when the lock lets go, it crunches her legs and she's like, well, now my legs are jammed. Well, the shoot company goes, yeah, we did that on purpose in case a person tried to climb in. It crunches your legs so that you don't go down there. Yeah. Well, that's smart. Yeah. It, in the investigation, they also show that it is not difficult for a large man to th- put this woman over his shoulders and then, while she is not uh, f- fighting, throw her down at himself. Yeah, when she kind of goes ragdoll over his shoulders, he's able to kind of, you know, what you would see a fireman take somebody out of mm-hmm. a burning building over their shoulders. They're behind as, you know, up in the air. Their feet are down by the guy's hip. And then, yeah, all he has to do is kind of flip her over and hold, in, hold her in his arms, feet first. And, of course, when someone's unconscious and you're hoisting them in there, what does her arms do? They flop up above her head mm-hmm. and she slides right down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There were also a lot of injuries on her wrists and arms and hands that were not indicative of something that would happen from falling down the chute. They were bruises that looked like they'd been caused by someone gripping her. Uh, they were in various states of healing, these bruises. So some looked like they had not just happened that day, but, you know, that there were things happening for weeks leading up to this, if not months. Definitely. The ovoid bruises is what Lauren mm-hmm. described them as, which if you take your fingertips and push it into your arm you know you see little circles mm-hmm. are left behind so that's generally what an ovoid bruise looks like ovioid, ovioid i'm not a yeah. scientist man but i appreciate all the forensic scientists out there yeah well you know what that's why they go to a lot of school and training to do that and then when you don't utilize those things yeah. in your job it's like what was the point of this yeah what's the point of any of it Lauren recreated the experiment again for the TV show Under Investigation with Liz Hayes. He also wrote a lengthy response to the coroner's finding, posted on the website bbhandschuck.com. Vanessa Levin also provided a statement to the inquest. Ant's friend of over 20 years had also become close with Phoebe during the relationship. Levin was with Ant the night of Phoebe's death in the room where he was questioned. She also mentioned in her statement the odd behavior he displayed in the days after Phoebe's death. While alone, he would be surfing the internet, but in the presence of Phoebe's relatives, he attempted to appear distraught. Levin told the coroner, It seemed to me he was turning his emotions on and off. Levin also confirmed Phoebe was intent on breaking up with Ant in the days leading up to her death, though she was convinced to stay. 
that to me is damning when you've known someone for 20 years and you say their behavior is odd. You have a very good measure of what this person acts like. You know, you, you've got 20 years of examples of mm-hmm. this is, you know, pretty the baseline of aunt's emotions. Now this is out of character. So she seems like a very credible witness and mm-hmm. that she was willing to also say that I think is telling and also helpful. Definitely. And I think you say, well, I was there the night of and I rushed to his side because you're friends with this couple Mm -hmm. and the man from the couple calls you and is like, oh, my gosh, she's dead. You want to go and be with them. But then the more time you spend, yeah, your conscience may catch up with you. And when the coroner asks you to testify, you don't fight it. You don't ask for any special treatment. You say, yep, I'll be there. And then that's what you testify. Mm -hmm. Sinisterhood will be right back. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I'll tell you what I've been doing recently is my bullet journaling for ADHD. I found some special, you know, websites that help me do that specific type of journaling. And it helps me stay very organized. But sometimes because I do have ADHD, I fall off track, I get distracted, I get busy, then I try to beat myself up. I feel really guilty about it. But that's when I have my BetterHelp therapist who helps me go, you're not a bad person because you didn't journal for one day. You'll Aww. be fine. <laughs> you need that too. People need that reassurance yes. and that, you know, you're. we're all doing the best we That's can. That's what she tells me. You're you know? doing your best. <laughs> well, we, when you're at your best, you can do great things. But sometimes life gets you bogged down and you may feel overwhelmed or like you're not showing up the way that you want to. Working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you because when you feel empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything life throws at you. Like I said, I use BetterHelp for my therapist. It I, I would never have signed up for this because of it without knowing your experience with therapy as well and how open you were about it. And I just didn't know where to get started or how to even find a therapist. And I liked that I could take a test and find my therapist. And now I love her and I will not let her go. I love that. And I'm honored that me sharing my story could help you. And it can be very daunting and overwhelming to find one. So, you know, if if that's how you're feeling, then BetterHelp is a great alternative to more in-person therapy. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com Sinister today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com Sinister. Most damning of all was the electronic evidence around Ant's behaviors in the moments after he supposedly discovered Phoebe was missing. Ant detailed what he found when he arrived home on December 2, 2010. He claims he entered the apartment, found a broken glass and blood on the computer keyboard, and then became concerned when he found what he called a small shrine on their bed, including photos of him, photos of Phoebe's cats, and candles. However, crime scene photos showed no such shrine on the bed as he testified. 
That's what gets me about this is something that the coroner points to to show evidence of her mental state and how depressed she was and check out the shrine on the bed. And I'm like, it's there's a, like 50 pictures and it's the things that the, he describes in the shrine. The photo of him is on the bedside table. The photo of the cats are on the dresser. The candles are on the other table. And it's like it's really bizarre to me that either you went in there and you undid the shrine really quick, which he never testified that he did, or you made it up. Because it's not in the photos. It sounds like a normal bedroom. I have pictures of my kids and Tommy on, you know, dressers, nightstands, pets, got candles in here. If all of those things were piled in the middle of my bed with, you know, scribblings around that were kind of incoherent words, that could be cause for concern. But that's just not what had happened. There's just the photos that were taken that night, which if you want to complain, if you're Aunt Hample and you want to go, well, I did, there was a shrine and they didn't get photos. Okay, well, then you should be really concerned that the police are moving things or not photographing things properly, not just saying, uh-huh, and then the photos go, nah uh and you go, uh-huh, and the coroner goes, I'm going with the guy that's saying it, not the pictures. Yeah. Aunt was questioned by the counsel assisting the coroner, Deborah Semenseba why he accessed the computer for 15 minutes after being so concerned about Phoebe's whereabouts. Ant testified he was looking for a note or some search history to explain where Phoebe had gone. Instead, electronic records show he opened GarageBand in iPhoto at 6.19 p.m. and 6.34 p.m. After taking a phone call, Ant then opened iMovie on her computer at 7.10 p.m. There was more activity on the computer at 7.39 and 7.40 p.m. as well. Well, I'm no rocket scientist, but you don't leave suicide notes in GarageBand from what I can tell. Yeah, that's another thing that was a red flag for me is that he said, oh, well, I wasn't opening GarageBand for me. I was opening it because she had been on it. That's fine. That to me is not the behavior of a suicidal person. Adding GarageBand and iPhoto, looking at photos and you're straightening your hair, you have your sunglasses on and you're ready to like that. None of this jives then with the story of I was. But if you say, well, I was looking for some search history. Well, the computer evidence didn't show that Mm -hmm. you were looking at that. That's the thing is people want to lie and they think they're real good at lying. And a lot of times people are really good at lying. But technology is it doesn't lie for you because it doesn't give a shit. So when there's concrete evidence that this just isn't what happened, yet it still flies in the face of justice and they're like, all right, but we're still going to believe him. It's maddening. Yes, because you feel like, oh, okay, well, we have 15 pieces of evidence that contradict what he says. And then you have a government official that goes, I'm going with the testimony. I'm sorry. I'm just going with it. Yeah. You're like, but why the hell? Yeah. There's what? And the answer is, well. Because his father is very rich and powerful, and so is he, and I like my job, and I don't want to lose it. That That's definitely a possibility. Ant also testified that he didn't try calling Phoebe after discovering she was missing because he knew her phone was at the repair shop and not with her. However, police notes from that night reference Ant telling officers Phoebe had left her phone at the apartment. He excused this in his testimony, saying... I have little recollection of what I said to police that evening. I was in a complete state of shock. In the final report, a footnote indicated that Ant provided his testimony under an immunity provided by the coroner. Well, let's break this down a little bit. Please. The phone is what gets me is that he, 
I'm I'm just suspicious about the location of the iPhone. I yeah. just don't think it was at a repair shop. And no. if it was, how about we have the guy that runs the repair shop come and testify and receipts from the repair shop. And I want to see uh, the phone itself be analyzed. Granted, this was 2012, so technology has come a long way. But there's got to be a human that touched the phone that would come and testify and go, yeah, 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 he dropped it off Thursday morning. Mm-hmm. Remember how he said Wednesday? He was he got a little confused. He was listen. in a state of shock. Yeah, but that's all we kind of have is the night of going, well, her phone's in the apartment, so it's no big deal. And then my question is, at what point did it maybe magically end up at a repair shop? And that's what's so frustrating about cases like this is all of these things that are being said are traceable. They're very easy to follow up on in any kind of investigation and prove, did this happen or did it not? And instead of doing that, they're all just like, all right, well, you said it happened. So, okay, we'll take that. He's a nice man. He comes from a nice family. Mm -hmm. He's very famous. He did work with ACDC. Just (laughs) let him tell his version of it. And you're like, no, I actually would like some evidence of this. But you know what? He could come and testify however much he wanted because he had uh, an immunity certificate. Please explain what this means, Heather. (laughs) Well, my best understanding reading the Coroner's Act of 2008 in Victoria is that if you're asking someone to testify. So basically the coroners say, we're going to want you to come give evidence. We're having this inquest. FYI, here's the date and the time. We want you to come. The person can say, I refuse to give evidence. I don't want to do that for various reasons. You just say you just don't want to, in which case they might compel you. Or you might say, well, the evidence I might give might lead someone to convict me of an offense. So then the coroner can grant a certificate to the witness. And then that would mean the evidence that they give that a person, oh, I don't know, like Aunt Hample in in this case, the evidence that he gave at the inquest cannot later be used in evidence against him. So then you can either choose to go ahead and give evidence with the certificate of immunity or you can be compelled to give it in which case it would still have the effect of being immunity because the coroner granted it but yeah if if i'm reading it correctly that's it what the actual statute itself says in any proceeding in a court or before any person or body authorized by a law of this state victoria in australia or by consent of the parties to hear receive and examine evidence like the evidence in this proceeding cannot be used against the person However, this does not apply to a criminal proceeding in respect of the falsity of the evidence. So my argument would be, the legalese of that translated is, you can't use it against somebody while he testified to the coroner that her phone was at a repair shop. You can't say, well, we think he's lying, so we're going to bring charges. But you could say, we think he's lying, we're going to bring charges for the murder. You could say, we think he's lying, we can bring charges of what would be in America perjury. Mm-hmm. We have this evidence here that the phone wasn't at the repair shop. He told the coroner it was. That's technically a lie. That immunity certificate doesn't grant you the ability to lie to the coroner. It grants you the ability to tell the truth to the coroner. And then people can't use the corpus of your testimony against you in a later proceeding. But I think if you lie to the coroner, you should get nailed for that. And you can. So is there stipulations to that i mean could you say yeah i threw it on the garbage chute and then like no one can use that against you because you have this immunity i am happy for an australian lawyer to reach out to me barrister to reach out to me because i would love to know more the the research i did it it seems pretty cut and dry i mean it says anybody any investigating body criminal or civil and it's that's a lot of power to give a coroner 
That's a lot of power to yes. get a corner. And maybe it's standard practice in Australia, but that's, to me, as an American, extremely unusual that of all the people in this case, the coroner has that type of carte blanche to just be like, here's a literal get out of jail free card. We just need you to tell us what happened, but nobody can hold it against you. It does seem odd in such a preliminary way for that to like the coroner's court. Again, we're not trying to determine guilt or innocence. So it seems so preliminary to be granting mm-hmm. a get out of jail free card because that's what this is that I get it. Like, you know, if you're doing a long investigation and, you know, uh, it's like we see in the U.S. with immunity grants all the time. It's usually you grant immunity to a defendant who did less amount of the crime. You know, maybe they're mm-hmm. an accessory after the fact. And they're willing to roll on the true perpetrator. I, you know, you make that decision as a, a prosecutor of what, you know, weighing the pros and cons of really letting somebody go free. In an upcoming episode, we're actually going to talk about that of somebody that was really more on the ground committing the crime, receiving a way, way, way less sentence, a much, much lighter sentence than the person who was just kind of calling the shots mm-hmm. to the crime. And we see that all the time mafia, kind of Rico stuff. But in a case where it's a single perpetrator, possibly, possible single perpetrator murder, it's odd to me that so early on you'd be like, yeah, you say whatever you want. Yeah, it's a little the cart before the horse type of situation. Guilty or not guilty, I think, you know, if you're agreeing to testify, you want some kind of protection. But again, if objectively you're saying, I only have Phoebe's best interest at heart, I want everyone to to feel like justice has been served i want the truth out there because i loved her do you need that do you you know what i mean it's just it seems like from the jump he was concerned with covering his own ass and that's for all i know that still today that's his concern it seems like He's treated this from the beginning like an adversarial proceeding, and nobody said it was. Mm -hmm. From the beginning, they said, we want to find out what happened. And it's like, why I don't like you accusing me? And you're like, well, I just wanted to know what happened. Why? What? Yeah. I don't want want an inquest where I'm going to be drug up in front and people are going to accuse me of stuff. Oh, we just wanted an inquest because we want to know what happened to her. Like, it's just immediately out the gate. Well, I'll only testify with the certificate of immunity. It seems like a bit of projection, a guilty projection, perhaps, or... You know, I mean, he before even the end, he didn't even want the inquest. He tried to make it mm-hmm. as difficult as possible for that to even happen. He's rich as fuck. He could have easily paid for that to happen to, you know, find out. Yeah, I want to know exactly what happened, you know, but that's just wasn't the case. And I think people's true colors shine when their their ass is on the line like this. Yeah, and it's just uh, it must just be the nature of the coron like the coroner inquest system that because it's not meant to be adversarial, it's you are able to give that carte blanche like you're completely immune from anything regarding this because all we're doing here is trying to figure out what happened when in fact then then my argument is then the inquest wasn't the best place for this Mm -hmm. the colonial inquest wasn't the best place for this it should have been treated more as a homicide but the irony is you can't get it treated as a homicide till the coroner says it was a homicide so it's like very catch-22 well and if the coroner's given the the one person that might be able to tell you what happened uh immunity then you've completely like shut down the case before it's even really started. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've you definitely they're starting. It's it puts them way, way, way back Mm -hmm. in any type of civil or criminal justice. In addition to hearing testimony from the witness, the coroner also gathered physical evidence. 
One issue was Phoebe's iPhone. Her Nokia phone had never been recovered, though her iPhone had been given to police on December 8th, nearly a week after her death. When police received it, the software being used by police was unable to read the SIM card. They returned the card and phone back to Aunt Hample after the initial failure to obtain information. Aunt then gave the phone away and claims he lost the SIM card. Police testified that given the updates to technology between 2010 when the death occurred and 2013 at the inquest, they would have been able to analyze the SIM card if only they had access. So the key here really is early on within the first six or eight weeks, police determining it was an accident and they didn't need any more evidence and just letting it all go. Instead of saying it's undetermined or it's a possible homicide. And my question would be, as a citizen of this area, again, you you ask yourself, what can we do? I want to know who said that was okay mm-hmm. to get rid of evidence and who was pressuring the police to say that it was not a homicide. Like, come on, it's, Aunt, it's George Hample's kid. You're not going to say it's a homicide. It's going to be a stink all over him. Just go ahead and mark it that it was an accident and we'll just let it all go. And then by the time anybody does get wind of it, then, well, whoopsie, it's gone. I also would like to know why they chose to give that stuff back to him and not her family. Well, he's the de facto spouse. So the That's second true. that she I died, yeah. he ran to whoever told him he got some really good legal advice. Run as quickly as you can and file a document lying and saying you're common law married because mm-hmm. he did. If you look at the facts, that's what he did. And that's what happens. And he gets the money. He gets the evidence. He gets the calls from the cops. And then he conveniently gives away the phone, which who does that ever? And just loses the SIM card. If this is the phone that the love of your life had with her when she tragically lost her life, one might keep it for sentimental value. At the very least, you would probably hold on to it just because it's evidence in the case. Absolutely. Much like the cell phone repair shop person. Where are they at? Where's the recipient of the phone? And it was the recipient, the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. The iMac computer Phoebe shared with Ant was also not seized until four months after her death. Police searched it for five days using a limited set of keywords from the coroner, according to Phoebe's family. Her outgoing emails had all been deleted. When Phoebe's family looked into conducting an independent analysis of the computer, it would have cost over $12,000. One particularly odd thing found in digital records was Ant's computer accessed a release of body form from the coroner's website in October of 2010, months before Phoebe's death. They shared the computer, so maybe she looked it up. But it was also technically, he made it clear it was his computer that he let her use and they shared it, but it was his, but that's why he wanted to get it back. But that's a weird thing to look up. I looked up what this is in Victoria and... Basically, it's a form that you got to fill out to give the coroner if you want the body released to you. And usually people don't do that until their loved one has passed, because how would you know to do that? Or in this, if it's like a terminal illness and you're expecting something, if someone's in hospice, then to get all your ducks in a row, you might fill that out early on. So it's a smooth process once they do pass. None of those things were the case with Phoebe. Weird thing to search. Yeah. Real weird thing to search. But yeah, the, the computer is another one that they didn't take it the night of because, and I'm quoting here, it was important to his privacy. 
I don't give a fuck. No. I don't care. There was a crime committed. I don't yeah. care. Take a shit. But it was there was so much deference. At the very least, the amount of, even if you say, I think it was a tragic accident, even if you don't believe science or anything that we're telling you, whatever, that's your, your right to keep your head in the sand. However, you have to ask yourself, do you want there to be two forms of justice, which we mm-hmm. all have in many countries where the really, really rich people get a thousand percent deference and anybody that doesn't make below, you know, uh, probably middle class gets treated like absolute fucking dog shit. Mm-hmm. So if this was in a really, really impoverished area and a woman died mysteriously and the guy had no parents at all or his parents were, you know, rabble rouser, nobodies, you think that they would be like, you should keep the computer. Or people keep of color. Phone. Yeah, keep the phone. Mm-hmm. Keep it. Don't worry. We don't want to bother hell no they go in and they fucking put caution tape over everything mm-hmm. and or they would just go we really don't care about that murder and leave yeah. that one too but that's probably just, the most likely scenario unfortunately but this idea that it's just so much deference well poor aunt he needs his computer well if he's so rich go buy your own computer it, it also makes me think sure we all want our privacy but unless there's something real fucked up that you don't want other people seeing why would you care if they had it you know what i mean like so what? You've searched a couple of like weird porn sites you don't even want to know about. Okay. But if you've searched like how to dispose of a body after I've uh, killed someone, that's a little bit different. It's very sus that he would not want to just give that up to help. But also, unless you're doing something wrong that you need to be kept private, in the case of a potential homicide has occurred here at the very least a tragic death has occurred bye-bye privacy for the time being like that goes out the window because the top the top priority is finding out what happened here not protecting someone's privacy 100 percent, and especially if the victim it's a close relative not relative but you know a close relationship of the victim and the victim's death is unsolved because it is because it happened 30 minutes ago and you can't Mm -hmm. immediately go well it's obviously a suicide just leave everything here and let's go but this is the same thing that happened with ellen greenberg Mm -hmm. where they left all her computer all her digital everything in the custody of her fiance and i don't i'm listen i'm not out here to train police officers but whoever is here's a fun thing i have an idea how about if you don't have the case solved already you treat everybody as a possible suspect and don't let any of them have access to extremely sensitive forensic evidence Mm -hmm. just a thought i completely agree the coroner focused on phoebe's consumption of alcohol and still prior to her death toxicology report showed she had been drinking enough to put her three times over the legal driving limit she also had traces of the sleeping pill Stilnox in her body, known as Ambien in the U.S. According to experts, the actions and behavior of people on Stilnox do not comport with the way Phoebe died. Several experts commented on the case to reporters from The Age and the hosts of the podcast Phoebe's Fall. The experts concluded that while Stilnox may encourage people to sleepwalk and do everyday tasks like cleaning, cooking, or driving, it does not encourage odd behavior like climbing into a garbage chute. Yeah, and the psychiatrists who have studied not just Ambien, Stillnox, 
as it's properly used, but then also studying it when it does get stacked with alcohol or with people who have a bad reaction to it, that the studies have shown over and over and over and over again is that your body goes on autopilot and it does things that it does every day. So, you know, like you drive home from work and then like you're home all of a sudden and Mm -hmm. you're like, oh shit, like I don't, I remember leaving the grocery store and I remember pulling in the driveway, but every turn in between, I do not know what that Mm -hmm. was. It's that part of your brain that kicks on with the rest of your brain supposed to be asleep. And so every time in a study they're like oh a person i believe it was in uh, it was ambien that david sedaris's sister was on in one of the um stories he talks about she woke up gretchen is like a big animal lover and she woke up in the night and was like eating a bunch of crackers and didn't know that because she was supposed to be asleep and the next morning she found her turtle food her turtles bug crackers were all gone <gasps> And she had no idea that she had just been, she slept, walked, you know, woke up, walked in the kitchen, ate a bunch of wheat thins, she thought, and then went back to sleep. And then when she woke up the next day, it was compressed Mm -hmm. bug squares. But it's just that like mindlessness Mm -hmm. of like, oh, a midnight snack. But she didn't say like, oh, and then I took the turtle and I strapped it to my head like a helmet. And then we walked outside. It's like you don't do things that are completely out of touch with reality you do rote exercises and climbing in a garbage chute would not have been that rote exercise no this amount of alcohol and ambient ambient alone knocks me out and then three drinks on top of that and i weigh way 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 more than phoebe i mean she weighed like a buck 25 maybe she was very slender yeah yeah the reenactment showed that a sober person has difficulty doing this so when you have all that in your system i just don't I don't see how it could possibly happen. And obviously, it's not something she's done before. Mm -hmm. So this would be the first time she's ever done something like that. So it's not like your muscle memory kicks in of like, oh, this is what I do after I take the trash out. It's like a passive path of least resistance as well. So I, if you told me that she woke up on Ambien and walked and put her trash in the trash chute and walked back in the apartment and fell back asleep and has no recollection, I would believe that. Because mm-hmm. again, it's a rote behavior, a rote exercise. Sure. She lived in the building. She would know exactly where to go and exactly where to come back. But that is so out of the ordinary and also just physically impossible mm-hmm. being as, especially given her parents said every time she drank one drink in, she was tripping and falling yeah. down and knocking stuff over. On December 10th, 2014, Coroner Peter White released his findings. He began with quotes from Ant, pointing out that Phoebe had mental health issues. The coroner quoted, Dark thoughts. From her diaries, and detailed her binge drinking. Counsel assisting Deborah Semensima recommended an open finding due to the sheer amount of evidence lost, meaning the cause of death would be listed as suspicious, without specifying the actual cause. The coroner disagreed and instead chose to ignore the many inconsistencies between Ant's testimony and the evidence, as well as the many pieces of evidence lost. Coroner Peter White instead concluded that while on a combination of stillnox and alcohol, Phoebe had climbed into the garbage chute and fallen to her eventual death. He said he didn't blame police for leaving evidence behind given the circumstances. He even said it was acceptable that investigators left the laptop in Ant's possession, since the police were concerned about ants privacy i really hate all of this because from the beginning the coroner's findings i feel are painting this picture of her like a broken girl that was just bound for suicide and there was no stopping it and that's just not the case there was so much more to her ask any of her family and friends sure she she drank she used some drugs. She had issues with depression and anxiety. Guess what? 
So do I. I mm-hmm. hope that if I was found at the bottom of a trash chute, the people wouldn't immediately assume that that's, that was my whole life and that was everything about me, you know? And so they've just made her seem like, it's very victim-blaming to me, and they, they've made her seem like this wounded little bird instead of a grown woman that was in an abusive relationship and dot, dot, dot. Yeah, I just got really choked up and started crying while you were saying that because they, I hope that we as a, an entire society have come further than this, and this was 2013, 2014, that we wouldn't look at certain victims more worthy than others of yeah. investigation and wouldn't say, because, I mean, the first, I was, and we'll put link it in the show notes, I was so mad when I read the, the things that he chose to pull out about her were yeah. all... It's all just, yeah, it's like, well, she drank a lot. I mean, it's like, it's akin to a woman getting raped and then someone saying, well, she was wearing really short shorts and a tube top and, you know, I mean, it's... Or even, she was a sex worker, so she was exposed to this all the time. You know, she was drinking all the time, so obviously she was going to stumble and fall and die, whoopsie. And instead of saying, no, this was a whole person with a whole entire life before Mm -hmm. the 14 months she spent with this shitbag that should also be taken into consideration but instead it was what do you want us to just write say it out loud and then we'll write the thing that you said also you have immunity and then we'll just hit print and we're good to go and deborah simensima was a very she's not an advocate for the family necessarily but an advocate for the truth and Mm. it just so happens that the family's interests are in line with truth and justice but it is sickening to read the first this guy should be fucking ashamed of himself Mm -hmm. and again if he's an elected official and you live in victoria make sure his ass don't get reelected although the rich get richer and people end up staying you know in their positions of power but to read somebody to me this reads the subtext of this reads like exactly what you said she was held bound on suicide she was just lost fuck it scrape them off give Mm -hmm. up who cares why are we even wasting our time on this and it's insensing it makes me so mad and we we're not related at all i don't know her (laughs) we're not related but i feel like well you're a compassionate person and i feel like compassion can unite all of us you know i mean we say all the time like the worst day of your life should not define you this was clearly the worst day of her life and in the end of her life and for her 24 year life to just be summed up like this and his shit bag friends telling people oh she couldn't be saved and blah 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 you have her family that's known her i'm like tears are literally streaming (laughs) down my face right now i mean if her family knows her they don't know her and i mean and her family's been saying this is not her her dad's a fucking psychiatrist like she was seeing a psychiatrist and even her psychiatrist who when all is said and done i don't think that psychiatrist is the the best trained one but She said, I did not think suicide was imminent. You know, her family said, yes, she struggled with depression, but this, we, it wasn't uh, something that any of us were worried about. And that can be the case a lot of times when someone does actually take their own life, you know. But in this case, it just doesn't make any sense. If she had been found in the apartment, all of this in her system, and had just passed out, maybe I could buy accidental or maybe even intentional overdose but throwing yourself down a garbage chute that you physically can't even fit into the way that they're saying you could fit into it just doesn't add up like you don't have to even 
be a detective to know that like these a does not equal c here yeah no for sure and it makes you it makes you sick because you know the truth right you know the the evidence that we have and to see her painted with such a broad brush and to see my thing is like you're saying the quiet part out loud if you want to be a shitty corner and be fucking bad at your job be fucking bad at your job and Mm -hmm. just be like i don't understand this evidence but my thing is you're now manipulating the narrative in order to fit the narrative of a person this is not the aunt hample show we got to make him you know exonerate him well that's exactly what it turned into so i'm like we've all completely lost our eye on the ball which is the truth the justice getting an answer for her and just go if you want to just get real mad today or cry either one click on the show notes and read the coroner's first page and the quotes that he chose are inappropriate they're inappropriate well and at the very least like you said if you want to say i can't say that this was homicide okay but you don't have to definitively say it certainly wasn't this was a quote freak accident those words were used a freak accident in an official report by the coroner you could at the very least do what Deborah Smensma is suggesting and have an open finding. So therefore we're not saying it was murder. We're not saying it wasn't, but mm-hmm. we know that we can't definitively say that this was an accident or a suicide. And that's exactly the correct. And what her family said, they said, listen, we get it. A bunch of stuff has been lost and it just may never be found again. And that's okay. And listen, we're going to, do our best with this open finding and that's just going to be all we're going to have but it's such a slap in the face yeah. to ignore her and then go on top of that and borderline I won't say defame but like just besmirch the final yeah. reputation of a, a woman who is now dead mm-hmm. and to just go you know you read her diaries they were so sad and terrible and she had sad dark thoughts and she was a sad little girl it's just rubbing salt in the wounds of her family to be like she was a broken bird that mm-hmm. would never be fixed again it's just it's absolutely sickening I totally agree Phoebe's family was understandably disappointed Natalie told reporter Liz Hayes that she had hoped for an open finding. Because so much evidence was lost. In addition to shutting the door on possible further investigations, the coroner also fully exculpated Ann Hample. According to Phoebe's fall, Ann's attorneys had pressed for this outcome to be included in the finding as well. This came despite counsel assisting submission, which called several items of Ann's testimony, Reconstructions. And wrote, No positive finding can be made on the balance of probabilities as to Mr. Hample's involvement. And let's give credit where credit's due to Deborah Semensima, who went through all the evidence, was asking extremely tough, difficult questions, and had the wherewithal to write accurately her recommendation and not bow and kowtow Mm -hmm. to wealthy, powerful people. And I hope that she did not see any backlash in her employment, you know, in job opportunities to move somewhere else to be like, oh, well, you remember what she did to George Hample's kid? Mm -hmm. Mm -mm, Don't hire her. Like, I hope she is seen as an ethical, upstanding barrister, attorney, counsel, because she absolutely is. It takes a lot to write that, Mm -hmm. especially when you have an army of rich lawyers pushing you. And I think she is the hero of this coroner's inquest and it shows what a weak bitch 
coroner Peter White is. Mm-hmm. And I said it. I said he's a weak <laughs> bitch. But you know what I mean? Yes. When you're under an extreme amount of pressure mm-hmm. like that, and I think because this is pre-Phoebe's Fall podcast, right now all this is is a coroner's inquest that's being a little bit reported on. This is before Richard Baker and Michael Bachelard got a hold of it and really made it a larger story. And so when you have the public not on your side, you have the authorities not on your side, you have really, really rich people not on your side, and you have powerful people in your profession not on your side, it takes a lot of balls to do what she did and she done did it. That's what will eventually change the system because yes, the rich keep getting richer because people bow to them and allow them to stay in power. If we have a lot of Deborah Semensimas that are like, fuck it, no, I don't care who the fuck you are. This woman deserved justice. Also, regardless of who this is, they deserve justice. My job is to be unbiased. It is just to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. So I really don't have a dog in this fight other than the justice. I'm just trying to find out the truth. I don't have a personal vendetta against Mr. Hample. Mm-mm. I just want to know what happened, period. Yeah, she understood the assignment and she did it. But the problem is she's not the coroner, right? She was just the yeah. opinion and he could choose to ignore it. And bizarrely, he did. But again, it's not bizarre. We know why. Because the coroner had followed the law but chose to ignore key pieces of evidence, Phoebe's family was in a tough spot. At the time, the only way a family could challenge a coroner's findings was on a misapplication of law. Here, they were essentially stuck. Though they could have attempted an appeal, they would have gotten only one shot at it, and it would have cost them enormous legal fees. The law at the time would have required the handshucks to pay the legal fees of other parties involved if the appeal was unsuccessful. Disappointed, Phoebe's mom, Natalie, told Marie Claire in 2016. Natural justice is now the only thing we're going to get out of this. Karma will come to whoever has been involved. We just have to be patient. I really um, relate to this. I think if I was in this situation, this is the conclusion I would also come to, that the universe is going to eventually take care of it. I'm not talking about woo-woo stuff, but like eventually – Dues are going to be paid. Someone's going to talk. Something's going to happen. Something will come out. And that's what I would have to hang my hope on to be able to just exist day to day. Oh, absolutely. And I I believe the number was around 400000 was the estimation of the fees that she would face God. if she lost. And because of the way the law was written, she would have lost because he yeah. didn't misapply the law. He only ignored key pieces of evidence. The very narrow way that the coroner's act 2008 was written was that you're hosed that if you don't like how we analyze the evidence tough so they could have tried to apply uh, appeal and you say okay well i appeal and then i lose so then i'll appeal again saying well then the law needs to be changed at least in the united states that's like you can appeal on asking the court to change the law but in this case it was just you know for sure you're going to lose because the law is not on your side and do you have $400,000 to set on fire and the answer was absolutely they do not no few do you know who does Aunt Hample yeah I bet in October of 2016 Aunt's sister Christina Hample posted a photo on Facebook of herself alongside Phoebe and wrote in loving memory I just stumbled across my favorite pic of beautiful Phoebe I miss you darling You were a fragile little flower that no one watered. You and your family were let down by the justice system and those who represent it. I only hope that one day the truth will come out so that they will have some peace. The post was taken down, but not before it was sent to reporters from The Age, who were producing a podcast called Phoebe's Fall, 
detailing Phoebe's case. Yeah, Richard Baker and Michael Bachelard are incredible. Uh, they are reporters for Sydney Morning Herald and has the age. It's kind of all related. And Natalie Hansjuk reached out and said, hey, this happened to my daughter. We're going through this inquest. They were recovering the inquest here and there. But this post on Facebook really made, I believe it was Michael Bachelard say, we're on to something. Mm-hmm. Because why would you post that? And then it was taken down very quickly. Yep. I imagine... People saw that and said, uh, hell no, delete that right away. But for whatever reason, in that moment, she spoke these words and it doesn't seem like it's just something that you accidentally say. It's It seems like she's definitely implying something. There's an inference there that something happened and she oh, knows yeah. that something happened. Well, and a little bit of background, they call her Chrissy Hample. She had been arrested for, she had a substance use issue with doing cocaine and possibly selling, dealing cocaine. Magically, the charges all got dropped, probably because of who her parents, her dad and mm-hmm. stepmom are. But she, she's kind of this like black sheep of the family. But she was the one that when Phoebe and Aunt started dating, that Chrissy was lending clothes to Phoebe and Phoebe cut her hair that was long and brown to be short and black like Chrissy's hair. So I wonder if they had, and it's a very beautiful photo of the two of them together. It's black and white. So, you know, you wonder if you make this connection that you're maybe struggling with substance issues. Phoebe opens up to you about her struggles that you guys are related and you see the way she died and you Mm -hmm. see the way your family reacted that said she was just a drug addict, depressed, sad little thing, whatever, write her off, throw her in the garbage, fuck it. And I wonder if you go, what the fuck would they do if something happened to me? Yeah. Yeah. Would they treat me the same way as her because I had the same issues as her or would they treat me that? But it was, I believe it was up for 12 or 15 hours, like not, not an entire day even, but thankfully somebody screenshot it. Once it's posted, uh, just assume it has been screenshotted. Sinisterhood will be right back. They say that hair care is the new skin care, but there is one brand that has taken it to the next level. With a cult-like following, Kitsch has created game-changing essentials beauty enthusiasts swear by. From satin pillowcases to time-saving towels to their classic hair ties and scrunchies, Kitsch knows hair care doesn't stop in the shower. Started in 2010 by selling hair ties door-to-door, literally just hustle in a dream, Kitsch is self-funded, female-founded, and now carried in over 20,000 retail locations. Kitsch's bestsellers include satin pillowcases, caps, and eye masks. Their satin is vegan and cruelty-free, and they are so great for your hair and skin while you sleep. They also have shampoo and conditioner bars. Yes, bars. Bottle-free beauty, y'all. I love those shampoo bars. Oh, it's great. It's good to travel. Yeah, very good. And I also just feel better because I don't have this giant chunk of plastic in my hand that I'm squeezing something out of. It's just like a soap bar, and then when it's gone, it's gone. Right there. Also... The heatless satin curling rollers say bye-bye to heat damage. There are TikTok videos of people throwing away their $600 curlers for this. The amazing thing, this is only a fraction of the price at $18. I've said it before, best curls I've ever had. You just sleep in it, and then you wake up, and it's like the best blowout you've ever had, and it lasts for days. I was going through old photos and videos to make kind of a year-end, like, thanks, everybody. And I saw, I was like, damn, Chrissy hair is on fire in that picture. And I was like, oh, that's the We were in one. Chicago. That's right. Yep. yep. That's when it happened. So good. It, it does look so good. good. It's, I'm telling you, it's, and it's, 
so easy. You just put it in your hair and then you go to sleep. You don't even have to do anything. My favorite part is you kept going, the curls, they won't stop. You're like, it's been three days and it's still curly. And I was like, dude, Kitsch got you, man. Mm-hmm. Well, right now, Kitsch is offering you 30% off of your entire order at mykitsch.com slash sinister. That's right. 30% off anything and everything at mykitsch, spelled M-Y-K-I-T-S-C-H dot com slash sinister. One more time, mykitsch.com slash sinister for 30% off of your order. Eventually, Aunt Hample moved on. He got married after Phoebe's death, but then divorced. Single again in 2016 at age 49, he began dating 23-year-old model Bailey Schneider. On June 23, 2018, Bailey was found unconscious with a gold cord wrapped around her neck on the kitchen floor at her parents' home. Her parents were suspicious given the disparity in her height in the areas in the kitchen where she could have harmed herself. A coronial inquest was also opened into her death, and Richard Baker, the reporter who had spearheaded investigations into Phoebe's death, covered Bailey's death as well. Ant claimed he and Bailey were not seriously dating, according to The Age, but phone records show frequent contact as well as trips that the two took together. Bailey also took out a life insurance policy on herself three weeks before her death. Despite the anomalies, the coroner's inquest also determined there was no third-party involvement and that Bailey died by suicide. This is also extremely heartbreaking, and it also does not make sense. Bailey was found with a gold cord wrapped around her neck very tightly, but she was on the ground. Um, It did not appear that she had done this to herself. There was not a spot in the area she was found where she could have done this to herself. And yet the coroner said that it was suicide for sure and that surely he wasn't involved either. And that morning, Bailey had told her mother that she had broken up with Aunt. The two had broken up uh, that day or just the, the night before. It was It was very recent. A lot of parallels. A lot of parallels. And another family who has been failed by the coronial system. Yes. The attention on Phoebe's case, and in particular the Phoebe's Fall podcast released in 2016, caused movement in the Victorian legal system. Prior to Phoebe's case, the appeal window had only been 28 days, with appeals only allowed on the narrow grounds of a misapplication of law. According to the Sydney Morning Herald, between the coroner's act's passage in 2008 and the time of the podcast in 2016, only one single appeal had been made against a coroner's finding in Victoria. Following the release of the podcast, a public outcry ensued and prompted officials to comment on the difficulties families like the Hansjucks faced when trying to appeal a coroner's finding. I thought that was very telling that in the newspaper's investigation, they found only one single was uh, case was successfully appealed or was yeah. appealed at all. And I think that shows that you have written a law that mm-hmm. is inappropriately narrow for the public policy issue that it was designed to address. It seems like it's a law to say, look, we want everyone to have a fair chance, but it's written in such a way that they know no one is going to have a fair chance. And so it's just kind of for show. 
Or they write it in a way going, well, we really are concerned because we don't want a lot of appeals if angry families are upset. And so we want to make it really hard to appeal. But then you ask yourself, does that serve the public policy purpose of the coroner's court, which is this, the the job of these inquests is to actually determine the real cause and then stop whatever that cause is, whether, like I said, it's an accident because there needs to be better regulations on construction sites or whether there's a person out there that's murdering women who seem suicidal and have substance use issues and, you know, is repeatedly murdering them. That would be also another thing that you would want to stop. So in so making it so difficult to appeal, you're uh, you're absolutely stopping the initial purpose of the coroner, which is to stop further deaths yeah. in the same manner. Yeah, it's uh, it doesn't make much sense. You know what just occurred to me, though, and hmm. I don't know. I guess if you're a lawyer in the United States, you can't practice in another country. But we need Kathleen Zellner on the case. Uh, you you can. You just have to. Uh, what's the right word for it? I mean, you'd have to get like a, my old boss at the law firm I worked at was also a barrister in England because he oh. like went through all the hoops that you have to be. Mm-hmm. It would be like if you're an attorney from another country and you came to the States, there's a couple of boxes you have to check, some tests you have to take and you can practice. But there's nothing that says you can't have a consultant that isn't there to practice law, but is there simply as a consultant. And you're right, man, but Kathleen Zillner figured out. Normally, she exonerates people that have been wrongly convicted. But what if you convict people that have been wrongfully exonerated? Oh, yes. We need bizarro Kathleen Zellner. Yeah. And it's Australia, so everything's upside down. Oh, that's true. So she just goes there, and then it works itself out. Problem solved. In 2018, it became possible for families to challenge the weight of evidence of a finding, meaning that the error in law caused the coroner to misapply the facts to the law. The change in law also extended the appeal window from 28 days to three months. This change would have allowed Phoebe's family to appeal her case more easily. Attorney General Martin Pakula made a statement on the premier of Victoria's website saying, We want to make sure that families can apply to the coroner's court to reopen an inquest, regardless of when the initial inquest or death occurred. But wouldn't that mean that there's no appeal window? That you can do it whenever? Because they're saying, well, you have three months. I don't think three months is enough time, in my opinion, especially given that the I would say you have two things here and Lauren Campbell will address this in the next bit we'll discuss. But I think (coughs) you would either say we're going to reduce we're going to remove the financial burden of appeal. Yes. And make it only three months or we're going to remove or make it much, much longer through here, say three years, five years, if it's a death. I mean, the problem is, I, I think in in America, murder doesn't have a statute of limitations. If it's a death, you shouldn't have that. You right. shouldn't have three months. But even so, if you want to be reasonable, say, okay, five years, 10 years, whatever, pick a number. But you can't have both. You can't rush them in three months and then also make it an extreme financial burden or not even burden, but like risk. It's it's a burden because you do have to go ahead and pay your appeal attorney. But on top of that, this risk of if I lose, I pay the other side's fees. You may need more than three months to fundraise. You may yes. need more, th- more than three months to just like pray and be like, should I do this? Like, should I bankrupt my life for this? Otherwise, it's like, do you want to do it now or no? Do you want to lose all this yeah. money now or not? And then the family just goes, okay, well, I guess we can't. We don't have that. Yeah, I, I do not like feeling pressured into making decisions, especially when I think that they are very big decisions. And mm-hmm. this seems like the biggest decision you you could have. And to pressure someone that is already in a very vulnerable and emotional state. Yeah, you, you can't have all of these things. Something's got to give. 
Yeah. At the time, Lauren Campbell told the host of Phoebe's Fall that the change in law was welcome, but that there was still a gap in the review provisions, particularly in the financial risk associated with appealing. Because of the Hamples, the police department, and the coroner would all be represented at the Supreme Court appeal, if Natalie lost, she would be responsible for all legal fees for all parties. Lauren told hosts Richard Baker and Michael Bachelard, If we lose, Natalie loses her house. And you've already lost your daughter. So what are you, you're in between a rock and a hard place. I feel like you really don't have a choice but to say, okay, well, I can't do that. No. And Attorney General Martin Pakula about dislocated his shoulder, jacking himself off about all these changes. Oh, we made all these changes. Oh, it's so good for the families. This needs to be over. Hauled. Mm-hmm. I don't live there, so I don't have a dog in the fight. But I would say if you do live there and you find this upsetting and that you want change to be made, figure out what politicians are in charge. And that's what you need to lobby for. Because as it is, the little bitty, I mean, they made like a tiny little incremental change. And we're like, look at what we've mm-hmm. done. Like all politicians. I'm not yeah. shitting on Australia. All our politicians do it all the time. Oh, They're yes. like, congratulations on doing your job. But in this case, it was like such a little minor jump. And they just tried to just go, look what we've done. I will say credit where credit's due for Richard Baker and Michael Bachelard. Their podcast is why that happened. Their podcast coming out with it pissed enough people off, got enough people going, what happened now? Who did what now? To complain. And then the politicians in charge said, okay, well, we need to look at some of these rules and figure them out. Not enough. Exactly what Lauren Campbell said. It didn't matter. The change didn't matter because even if she had three months to appeal it, she still doesn't have the amount, you know, her entire life savings to wipe out to risk this. Because who knows how high up the how high up the conspiracy goes. But you know what I mean? You appeal to the Supreme Court, even if the law is on your side, you might still lose. I will say one, I think we do have a dog in this fight, even though we don't live there, because we all want justice regardless of where anybody lives. Also, I think that this shows that if enough people start yelling about something, they do notice. And yes, this was a small change that really wasn't even a change that really helped anyone. But it proves that if enough people start yelling, they have to listen. So what does that mean? We have to yell louder. Mm -hmm. And then the more that happens, maybe an actual change that is worth a shit will happen. Oh, absolutely. And I I just meant I don't live there. You're right. For this case specifically, for the hands ducks and for anybody who's killed, especially intimate partner violence, especially if somebody's getting away with it, especially if they... I don't know, there's a possibility something happens again that I think that is for every life we can save. That is very, it's an important, uh, valuable thing. I just, they, it's incredible that the podcast got the attention on the case that it did. And I think that's great. And I just think that, like you said, more pushing. Yeah. The hands checks continue to hold out hope. Lauren told 60 Minutes Australia in 2021. I guess we just hope that someone out there who has knowledge of this is going to feel a bit of a pang of conscience and come forward. If you have information that could help, you can report that information anonymously to Victoria Crime Stoppers at 1-800-333-000. If you're struggling with mental health in the U.S., use any phone to dial 988 and reach the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Listeners in the UK can dial 116-123, and in Australia, you can dial Lifeline at 131-114. Aunt Hample was found not to be responsible for either the death of Phoebe Hansjack or Bailey Schneider, and we are not suggesting otherwise. 
According to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, one in four women and one in nine men experience severe intimate partner physical violence. If you are experiencing domestic violence in the United States, contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE or text START to 88788. In Australia, reach out to the National Domestic Family and Sexual Violence Counseling Service at 1-800-737-732. So what do we think? Why don't you begin? Well... Judging by the evidence at hand, and this is my opinion, I absolutely think that Ant was involved. Suspicion mince words. It doesn't make sense to me to um, think anything else. I don't, I mean, it's, I think it's physically impossible. And I think the demonstration showed that for her to have climbed in there herself. I think that so much evidence was just overlooked and not gathered. The the footprints running away from their their door, the the whole scene in the apartment, things not being tested, the fact that her blood was found on the um garbage chute handle but no fingerprints. How can you have both of those things? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe somebody planted a little drop of blood on there. I don't know. I don't I mean, I'm just saying. When you're wiping it, you got a little sloppy when you're wiping yeah, it. Yeah, or maybe you, you left something off when when you're wiping it. The fact that her pants were down around her knees and her her belt was only through two belt loops on her jeans. Maybe she was interrupted getting dressed. Perhaps a fight ensued in the apartment and she was getting dressed to try and leave the apartment. And things went sideways. There's, I have a lot of a lot of theories, but they all come back to I do not think under any circumstances she put herself into that garbage chute. You're correct. I think there's a zero percent chance she did that to herself. Yeah, it's just given everything, waiting it all together. The question then becomes: If she didn't do it, who did it? If you have a gut feeling, you have a gut feeling. My question is: What can you prove beyond reasonable doubt, or even just like? civilly right like preponderance of the evidence like what can you prove and you stuff starts to add up definitely mm-hmm. it starts to add up when you look at ovioid bruises on her arms and you look at what somebody does to a computer in the moments after someone did we don't know where the phone was if it really was uh repaired we don't know if it was at the apartment or if it was at the repair shop at the time. We don't know what happened to the SIM card afterwards. We don't know who it was given to. Why were all of her outgoing emails deleted? That's the other issue, and I do want to bring that up. The horrific decision from the coroner to state that this was unequivocally a freak accident has closed the door for Phoebe's family when they wanted to go to Google and say, hi, Phoebe used Gmail. We need to get her outgoing emails. Mm. Can we have them? Google said, absolutely. We always comply. Could you show us where the cause of death was homicide? And they said, no, we cannot. And Google said, I'm so sorry. We can't help you. God. And so my thing would be, what? how do we lobby Google to let them emails free? Yeah. I get it that that's their policy, but it, should it be? I mean, and that's the other problem. What if you say, okay, well, we're going to appeal this finding. Can we have those emails? What was in those emails and why did they all get deleted? That's yeah. the other thing I want to know. I mean, if you're looking for person of interest, I would say the person that was last seen with her, the person that lives with her, the person that had access to all of her phones and laptops, all of her belongings is definitely someone that should be um questioned and not given all this courtesy like mm-hmm. like they're 
uh, a victim yes. and that their privacy should be respected. And, you know, they had a tumultuous relationship. There was evidence of abuse. I don't know why the uh, investigators would not explore that and investigate that further, if not for the fact that he has a super rich dad. He's an ex-Supreme Court judge. His stepmom is a sitting judge. He's super rich. He's hobnobbing with a bunch of celebrities and shit. So he's considered in a different category uh, than than others. And that's just how it works. And that sucks. And that's why I'm saying, like, the more people that say, nah, we're not going to put up with this shit anymore, eventually something can change. I think this is one of those situations where it absolutely, um, the rich and powerful won. Oh, definitely. And it makes you ask, do we want us as a society to have a category of victims that are less cared about less dead right and in this case i mean phoebe had the odds against her and being less powerful than aunt but she does at least have the privilege of a family that can fight for her to the extent i mean not financially right like they did as much as they could having a grandfather that had this criminal background and what that leads me to wonder is how many more people are killed and because they have substance use issues or mental health issues are completely scraped off and nobody really gives a shit and nobody's making a podcast about them because we just don't even know about it because it was so buried deep. And at least her mother had the wherewithal to reach out to Richard Baker and Michael Bachelard. They had the the thought to actually make the podcast, to make write the articles. Thank God for all of them for doing that so that we're at least talking about it. But if you say, well, we're covering this case, but there's so many more other victims. Well, I think what it is, is we look at it and go, okay, what can this tell us, this microcosm tell us about society as a whole? And to me, it's, I don't want to see deference. I don't care how rich you are, especially if for, it takes two seconds to ask the family, so are they pretty happy together? Or, you know, was there anything weird? And if you say, I can tell you with honesty that within the past week, he screamed directly into her face in front of witnesses and called her a million times in one hour, then I think you as a trained investigator should go, there's evidence of domestic violence here. Mm-hmm. There's evidence of abuse, whether it's emotional abuse or physical abuse. There is evidence of abuse here. So I'm not going to immediately be extremely deferential to this person. Maybe you're like, okay, I want to get him to talk. So I'm going to be kind of nice to him. Fair enough. Totally fair enough. Keep his ass out of the apartment. Keep him away from the computer. Track the fucking cell phone down within a few days. Pick up the CCTV footage. Figure out who ripped the logbook out. Why didn't anybody close Eric Giamaro's office up? You know, figure out who the hell is coming up and talking to the the concierge and why they're trying to sweeten the deal. There just was such a failure of investigation. And I think it was exactly what you said, completely due to the fact of who it was. And and then, sadly enough, we see, you know, it's two years after Phoebe's fall comes out that this happens to another family. It's just mm-hmm. absolutely heart-wrenching. And they they don't have justice either. Neither, no. you know, neither of these families have justice. And, it, and if you've done it twice, it stands to reason you might do it a third time. If we're asking ourselves, let's just forget about Ann Hampel for a minute. He's been cleared by the coroner and he's not responsible for either of these deaths and we're not suggesting otherwise. So put that in a box to the side. Hypothetically speaking, I think it is likely or possible in a heated, emotionally abusive relationship, either between a 49-year-old and a 23-year-old or between a 40-something-year-old and a 20-something-year-old, you know, a couple years before. In either case, if 
a person over whom you ex- exercise a great amount of power due to your job, your age, your sex, your familial connections decides that they don't they had enough of your shit and they're leaving you and nobody tells you what you're going to do nobody tells you who you are nobody tells i'm the one in charge i'm gonna give me your arm leaving ovioid bruises whatever i don't think that there's some premeditation okay this is going to be the day i do it that i'm going to go kill this person but i do think there are statistics to back me up and other cases anecdotally that we've covered where you might have a person who has a predilection for explosive anger, abuse of a a young woman, a much, much younger woman, that if something happens in the heat of passion, you panic, you freak out. And my, like you said, if it worked one time to make it look like a suicide, it might work the other. That's speaking completely hypothetically about young women with substance use issues in inappropriate relationships with men that are much, much older. And I think, in my opinion, taking advantage of them. Yeah, I think... um and this, again, is just uh, speculation on my part. Nope. It's your opinion based on the evidence that we it's presented. My, it's my and opinion. And the evidence. Hold on. Let me pull up the statute. The evidence <laughs> widely available uh, in the public media. Well, this, this though, what I'm about to say is what I think um, may have happened. I because based on but based on evidence based on the scene mm-hmm. of the apartment that there were two glasses in there that there were candles lit the straighteners plugged in like she's getting ready to go out her body is found in a state of half undressed perhaps or perhaps she was getting dressed I think that um, I don't I don't buy that Aunt got there after. I think both of them were already at the apartment and a fight ensued and things escalated. And I do agree that I don't necessarily think it was premeditated, but more of um, explosive. And in the heat of the moment, something happened and he disposed of her. Well, and I think if you one of the big issues we have is when did she go down the garbage chute? We could have known if. They took a core body temperature yeah. at the scene or my thing was like, OK, couldn't you have tracked the order of the garbage being thrown away? We leave mm. stuff in our garbage all the time that says whose it is. Yeah. So if she was in there on top of a bag of garbage and then another bag came down after her, all you have to do is ask the person approximately when did you throw this mm-hmm. away? Oh, OK. You threw that bag away at 545 and that person threw their bag away at 730. OK, well, then we we have CCTV footage of you walk, which they didn't have footage in the hallways. But, you know, we say, you, you know, based on, oh, you know, I was watching this on TV. So it was probably about 730. When I, you know, you would have at least something to go off of. But just the absolute bungling of the investigation, we'll never know. But you're right. I think if it, if I were a betting person i think her time of death was sometime between 609 p.m and 8 p.m yeah and right now it's just 609 p.m and 7 p.m i'll say sometime between noon and 609 or whenever she was found is is when it happened well that's a, a whole day yeah you know i mean but yeah i think um a lot of things could be answered and there's a lot of just like almost intentionally unanswered questions and loose ends that weren't tied up that it seems to me as an outsider based on everything we know could easily be figured out. And I'll conclude my, what do we think? Quoting uh, Christina Hampel, you and your family were let down by the justice system and those who represent it. I only hope that one day the truth will come out so that they will have some peace. I agree with you, Christina Hample, 100%. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I 
You know, like um, Lauren said, we're hoping somebody's a pang of conscience hits and, and some information's brought to light. Judging by that post alone, it seems like she has a conscience and, and things are creeping up on her. Maybe she's the one that ends up being able to break this wide open. I think someone knows something and just has not come forward someone yet. Someone always knows something. Absolutely. Someone knows somebody that was a rookie cop at the time or a crime scene tech or the EMT overheard something or the concierge or the building manager saw something or one of the million construction workers was around that might have heard or saw something. I really do think that there are people out there that are afraid to come forward. And I want to say, fuck them, Hamples. Come forward. <laughs> And and you should just come forward. Yeah. Also, I want to say to the Hample family, not Christina, she's cool, but Anne Hample, anybody that covered up, I don't have a lot of money. I'm a lot of I have a lot of student loans, so <laughs> you're got to get the way yeah, to, the way America works. Trying to sue us, you're not gonna the, get way, <laughs> the way America works is judgment creditors go way behind yeah. student loan creditors. So you're welcome to. That's okay, but just know Sally Mae has got your ass. So. <laughs> Godspeed, best of luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I uh, somebody knows something, and and like you said, one of those people or somebody closer to the situation, a friend. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, it seemed like there were a lot of cooks in the kitchen, especially right after everything took place. People are coming in and out of the apartment, doing all sorts of shit. I would venture to say more than one person knows what happened. Oh, so. For sure. Or has fragments and all of those people coming together mm-hmm. at once. Don't don't even call us. Call Richard Baker, Michael Bachelard. They're amazing journalists. They're now they're covering other cases on the Phoebe's Fall podcast. I'm sure they would love to listen to you. Kind of like we saw with Chris Lambert here mm-hmm. and the Kristen Smart case. I want you to know that just because you think you have one single piece of evidence and you're just some nobody and nobody cares about what you have to say, that is not true. Reach out to them. I don't care. Reach out to us. Yeah. Whatever. We're not there, but I'll come we'll, I'll come we'll, to Victoria. We got, we'll find an email address to to those dudes. Yeah. But, we I mean, for sure. We all everybody at at the end of the day, hopefully wants justice mm-hmm. for every case that we cover because the reality is this could be you. It could be yes. your loved one. And if it was, wouldn't you want justice and to, you know, be able to clear someone's name and also not make them in the media just painted as this this addict, this suicidal addict when she was not even that and so much more than that. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. So we all want justice. We all have to decide that our voices are not small. And mm-hmm. even if it's hard to stand up and do the right thing, it's the that's what you got to do. Be like Deborah Simensima and say the thing that needs to be said, even when it's scary and even when it's risky. And I, I seeing the good that Chris Lambert did with the Kristen Smart case. I don't lose hope because that was 20 something years mm-hmm. and extremely tenuous evidence. And so th- I think that this wasn't as far back as that. There's a lot more, I think, even digital evidence that maybe could still be probed or tracked down or found or something. So I would say don't give up hope because I, you know, Len, Lauren, and uh, Natalie and her brothers and sister and everybody, none of them gave up. So, yeah. well, we certainly hope that more comes out about this in the way that we want it to. And that the Hansjucks are able to find justice and some type of closure. I did want to add one more thing. Yes, I just please. want to tell you a quick fact about the civil justice system in the United States. Please. 
that did you know if you sue somebody for defamation that truth is an absolute defense for defamation and so if you have a trial where you bring a bunch of evidence out to prove the truth of the statement that you asserted boy you could get a lot done in a defamation case wow i'm just putting that out there in case anybody was unaware of how it really worked in the united states but if i'm just saying i'm just saying it's a possibility if someone was going to sue me for defamation I think I would have the facts to back up why I said what I said, because a little thing about podcasting is if you're a responsible podcaster, you uh, fact check all your sources and you have links to all of your sources. And you also, um, much like people that commit crimes, you cover your ass so you don't get in trouble for stuff. A trial would be, that's one way, that's one way to get Mm -hmm. facts out is all I'm saying. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, if you know anything, like we said, you can um, contact the Victoria Crime Stoppers at 1-800-333-000. Yes, that is an actual number. I did have to look it up because they have one less number than we do in their phone numbers. Six instead of seven there Mm -hmm. at the end after 1-800. Interesting how those things all work. Who's to say why anybody does anything? But yeah, well... um, that's three parts, and if you're listening, hands jucks, know that um, we stand with you. Definitely. And I mean, and the Schneiders as well. Oh, yeah. You all deserve justice, and we're sorry you haven't gotten it this yes. far. Yes, and if any of the Hamples are listening, uh, go fuck yourself, unless you're Christina, and then um, email us. Yeah, let us know what happened. Yeah. We're, we're here to listen, or like I said, Richard Baker, Michael Bachelard, I'm sure they would... Take it and run with it. There you go. We love providing Sinisterhood to you at no cost. So if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We're a small operation, creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the rolling the airwaves and getting into it tier, a special shout-out on the show, a monthly bonus mini-sode, and patron-exclusive video and audio content including Am I the Asshole, Relationship Advice, Judge Christie, Dear Sinister, True Crime Headlines, and more. And patrons at the Getting Into It tier are also able to vote on a bonus content segment each month that they would like to see us live stream. They're also able to vote on a episode topic that we cover and this was the one that they um selected which ended up turning into three parts yes you also have the fun perk of access to our discord server where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime share personal ghost stories or just post adorable pictures of your pets we hop on occasionally and we host monthly q a's on crowdcast where you can ask us all your burning questions For patrons not in the U.S., you have the option to pay in pounds or euros, saving you the cost of the conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available. Those that select this option will be rewarded with a free month of membership. For more details on all of this and specific member tiers, visit Sinisterhood.com and click Patreon on the top banner. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. If you want to get some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com and click shop on the top banner.
The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. You can also share any episode by clicking the three dots in the top right corner and share topic-based playlists from Spotify by visiting sinisterhood.com slash playlist. All of this means so much to us and really helps podcasts like us get more exposure. Can I give you two facts about Sinisterhood that I learned from our Spotify wrapped as podcasters? Yeah. We are in the top 1% of the most followed podcasts and the top 1% of the most shared podcasts. What? So thank you to everybody oh for gosh, sharing us. Oh my gosh, that makes us. me feel so good. I never we, thought I'd be a one percenter. Here we are, much like the Hells Angels. <laughs> where the, you're might thinking like Occupy Wall Street one percenter. Uh, I'm like, <laughs> I'm thinking like motorcycle one percenters. Uh, but we, uh, we thank you so much because it said that I think by like 50% or more, the sharing came from people texting each other. So we I really appreciate that. that. Exactly what Christy Wait, said. Wait, are sure. you saying of all podcasts on Spotify, we're in the top 1% of, of people following? Give me one second to confirm because I don't want to lie to you, but yes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I have it. Hold on. Yeah, it says, congrats. You're in the top 1% of most followed podcasts. And it says, your podcast was in the top 1% most shared globally. Wow. Here's how your listeners spread the word. 48% text. See, sometimes I worry about my memory. 29% direct link. 12% other. So I don't know what that is. Whispering or note cards or something. And carrier pigeon. <laughs> 6% WhatsApp and 5% Facebook. So whatever percentage, however you did it, we thank you very much because... That's amazing. Uh, yeah, it made us feel very loved. That does. That makes me feel great. That's the best birthday gift I could have since when this comes out. It is technically my birthday. Well, and I wanted to say that because I want to say thank you. Y'all did that and they followed the directions. And I'm sure people <laughs> on Apple are doing it and Pocket Cast and all the other apps or Patreon or whatever. Uh, it's just they don't send us a fun thing at the end of the year. Yeah, saying that, that's but. true. Spotify does have the market on the fun thing that everybody yeah. like gets to share and you get to see all the stuff you did. So they suck you in to get you. <laughs> well, we appreciate you and wanted to say thank you very, very much. Yes, thank you. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. We're also on YouTube and TikTok at Sinisterhood Podcast. Christy, where are you at? I'm on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and Twitter and TikTok at Christy or GTFO. Heather? I'm on Twitter at MCK versus the world and I'm on TikTok and Instagram at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shout-outs. Gretchen Shoemaker. Kimberly Leanne. Karen Kirschenmann. Maria Gerstorfer. Melissa Siegler. Charlotte Taylor. Allison Brown. Cora Polson. Shannon Hembry. Katherine Geisler. Lisa Leah. Tracy Williams. Original Basement Girl. Margaret. Tina Etter. Julia French. Elodie Boyson. Angelina. Maya O'Brien. Tammy McGowan. Mac French. Haley Hughes. Beatrice Roman. Kayla Combs. Amy. Amanda Majors. Brandy L. Brown. Sam Gardner. Taylor Miller. Jessica Eastock. Cat to be kitten me. Cat. Bren. Cricket Summer. Megan Glebe. Alexa Darchie. Kalia Copenhaver. Lynn Never. Madison Borales. Samantha Evans. Kathy Donovan. Eve. Brittany B. Parker Caps. David Hayner. Danica West. Catherine Chamberlain. Lee Finner. 
Casey. Hallie Olson. Marquia Scarlett. Jenna Squires. Amber Walker. Logan Thor Jones. Heather Phillips. Jerry DeBose. Stasia Kemp. Madison Gutwine. Joy Curl. Brandy Ackman. Laura C. Souter. And Amanda Jenkins. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. We could not do this without you. We hope we pronounced your names correctly. If we didn't, we sincerely apologize, but we love you so much. Thank you for allowing us to do what we love to do. We couldn't without you. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. Mwahaha. Sinister. Who-